I'm Kaylee Arrett, and you're listening to Episode 9 of Me When I'm Free. Who is this me when I'm free, and why does it even matter? This is the question that has spurred me on for years now. It's led me down some dark roads of healing and up joyful mountains of calling. And to this moment, right now, still on the journey and inviting you to join me. If it really is true that the glory of God is man or woman fully alive, then it would appear that God would want this even more than we do. But why? Why is this important to him? Doesn't he have more important things to attend to than whether or not we know ourselves and what we have to bring to the world? These are some of the questions I want us to explore together each week through a simple story, a few moments of reflection, and space to pray. Join me, friend. The year was 1990. For three years, I had attempted to claim the first place trophy in the regional spelling bee in order to win the highly coveted all-expense-paid trip to Washington, D.C. for the renowned Scripps-Howard National Spelling Bee. For two years, I had landed squarely in third place. For two years, I had lost the honor to Christine Fetzko and Andy Cotillo, first and second places, respectively. As an eighth grader, this was my final chance. With Christine aging out of the competition, Andy was my only obstacle to sweet victory. This was my moment to shine. In the weeks prior to the competition, I had many talks with God about how much I wanted to win. I was pretty sure he wanted me to win as well, since I was on his side and all. I figured he would like to leverage his platform by getting one of his representatives in the limelight. I promised that I would give him all the credit if he didn't mind working his magic behind the scenes to get me a top finish. Meanwhile, I studied every night for hours practicing spelling words like lugubrious and onomatopoeia with my mom until my tongue grew thick. The big night finally arrived. One by one, the other spellers dropped out until there were just five, then four, then three, then two of us. You guessed it. Andy Cotillo and me. Around and around, Andy and I sparred, each determined to grasp that elusive first place trophy in our sweaty little middle school hands by the end of the night. And then the most extraordinary thing happened. Andy misspelled a word, a word that I knew how to spell. That is incorrect, I heard the judge say. In disbelief, I approached the microphone and slowly, carefully spelled the word. The judges informed me it was correct. In order to win, I needed to spell one final word. Oxymoron, the judge called out. Oxymoron. O-X-Y-M-O-R-O-N, I chanted into the mic. 
That is correct, I heard the judge say. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our winner of the 1990 Scripps Howard Regional Spelling Bee. The rest is a blur, audience cheering, cameras flashing, parents crying. I remember standing at the microphone thanking God for allowing me to win. In the following weeks, I would become somewhat of a local celebrity, interviewed on the news and in the papers multiple times. In one of the articles, I was asked to share why the win was meaningful to me. This is it, I thought. My moment to give God the glory. I knew he was counting on me. I didn't want to let him down. A lot was riding on this moment. I considered the question for a moment, took a deep breath, and declared, Some people think Christians are wimps. I'm glad I can show them that's not true. (laughs) It's taken me a few decades to not cringe at these words. I can even giggle at them now. I'm not sure where this sentiment came from, but I can imagine it was my interpretation of a whole bunch of jumbled narratives about Christianity and its crumbling standings in American society. I admire that sweet 14-year-old girl's confidence that her above-average spelling skills were helping to put Christians back on the map. I am proud of her for her desire to take a stand for her beliefs. That will be a theme of her life for many years to come. From this vantage point, I see another story beginning to play out in this moment, however. This was my first taste of power, authority. In my mind, I had proven myself to God and the world, and it sure felt good. This was the version of me that Christ loved, the winner, the chosen representative, the champ. I now had a platform to stand on, a title to uphold. Friend, anything can become an idol. Maybe even especially the things we think God is requiring of us. John Eldridge writes in The Journey of Desire, Don't be fooled by the apparent innocence of the object you have chosen. What is its function? Most of our idols have a perfectly legitimate place in our lives. That's their cover. Our idols become the means by which we forget who we truly are and where we truly come from. Idols promise us power without requiring meaningful risk. Consider any addiction, and that is what it pretends to offer. Think of the ways that you might compulsively seek to earn acceptance from God or others with little risk. Perfectionism or performance or Facebook statuses or church attendance, and your idol will be revealed. And likely also your vulnerability that you are trying to protect. Little did I know in that shining moment on the stage with the lights flashing and the cameras rolling that I was taking my first step toward my idol, or dare I say, drug of performance. My heart's desire may have been to please God, but my problem was that I didn't believe I pleased him already as much as I ever would. I now understand that every effort to earn his pleasure 
is actually resistance to his love for me. And what followed this was a lifetime of resisting God's love. Brennan Manning writes in his book, Abba's Child, being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence. It is not merely a lofty thought, an inspiring idea, or one name among many. It is the name by which God knows us and the way he relates to us. Living freely is the difference between attaching to our strengths and abilities and believing that God takes joy in our offering of them, that he doesn't just want to put us to good use. It's believing that he has no desire to exploit us, that he wants us to flourish, which means he wants to thwart anything that might stand in the way of finding our identity in him. As I wrote this podcast, I asked God to show me when else I believe that all he cared about is putting me to good use. I'm discovering he loves to answer these questions when I ask. Immediately, he reminded me of my time as a missionary in Korea right after college. He took me back to a season of living on the brink of depression that led me to reach out to a pastor to tell him all the things that I was sure God was very disappointed about in me and all of the ways that I never seemed able to earn people's favor. I wondered, is it possible I have a journal from that time? Sure enough, there it was, packed away in that dusty box in my basement. And there in the scrawl of my 22-year-old self was the reminder that the pastor had given to me then. Kaylee, you are accepted in the beloved. If you never perform another deed of wonderful Christian service, you are still accepted in the beloved, the pastor had told me. What a gift now to see how long God has been trying to capture my attention with this truth. I thought about that phrase, accepted in the beloved. I wondered where it came from in the Bible, so I googled it. Ephesians 1 in the King James Version. I smiled. Ephesians 1 is the passage that God has given me as the foundation for this podcast, but I had never read it in that version accepted in the beloved. A Google search also reveals that the phrase accepted in the beloved is translated from the Greek word karito, endued with special honor, made acceptable, highly honored. It's used only twice in the whole Bible. Once when the angel Gabriel meets Mary to tell her that she will bear a son, the savior of the world. Greetings, you who are highly favored, he proclaims. The second is in Ephesians 1, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, carito, highly favored, lovely, highly honored. I bear no shame for the ways I have attempted to earn God's favor, for every version of myself has been accepted in the beloved. I'm learning to practice curiosity instead of judgment toward my younger self. In those moments when I tried to name myself, is it possible that there were clues about the name God was writing for me? As I wrote this story out, I realized that 
just like that vulnerable middle schooler, I'm still speaking into a microphone these days, still attempting to give God glory. But instead of earning his pleasure, I'm simply living into the pleasure he already feels toward me. It's a marked shift. And most days, it feels a lot like me when I'm free. And so today, friend, I leave you with these questions and some space to reflect. If it's helpful, I invite you to grab a journal to jot these thoughts down and ponder them throughout the week. Question one. If attempting to earn God's favor is actually resistance to God's love, where are you resisting God's love for you? Consider if you might take a break from certain activities or commitments to practice simply experiencing God's love for you. Question two, what would it be like to picture Jesus looking you in the eye, speaking your name and saying, you are accepted in the beloved, highly favored, highly honored. Then, would you take a moment to reflect with me and maybe even journal Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. I'm reading them in the New American Standard Version. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he favored us in the beloved. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we struggle to believe that we are fully accepted and highly favored in the beloved, and so we seek other ways to prove our worth, both to you and to others. Would you thwart those attempts and keep bringing us back to you and your great love? It is in your strong name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Me When I'm Free. I hope you'll continue to join me on this journey toward wholeness. I'd love a traveling companion. My hope is that you'll see yourself in these stories that I share here, and if nothing else, you'll feel less alone. If you'd like to connect throughout the week, you can find me at Kaylee Arrett on Facebook and Instagram or at KayleeArrett.com. And if you haven't yet, I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast and I'd be delighted if you left a review. Thanks for listening, friend. Let's meet back here next week.